tell me, how does this end? The stories have got it wrong. See, the night came out of the ground. The sun, when it was born, took possession of the sky. But the night had been there all along, sleeping under rocks, wriggling amongst all the animals whose eyes had abandoned them long ago. And then the light, orange, gold, blinding, searing, encroached upon its territory. It didn't matter, for the darkness knew that its time would come. The sun rose and set, but the darkness, the darkness was always there, with fingers that scratch, teeth that gnaw, and a preference for reeking, rotted meat. This episode is called On the Verge of Night. Don't forget about them, Mrs. Riley told me again. She fastened shut another zipper on her suitcase, which lay on its bloated side like a malaise animal. I won't. I've got it all on my phone, I said. Moose won't go tee-tee in the backyard after dark. You'll have to take him out front. Mrs. Rowley told me. She looked at the scruffy terrier at her heels. It stared back with stringy eyebrows, head cocked more out of confusion than curiosity. He whimpered and fidgeted before settling back to the floor. You'll be fine, Moosey. It's just for a few days. Yes, ma'am. You told me, I said. Help yourself to whatever's in the fridge and... Oh, how could my sister be so careless? I told her till I was hoarse. I says, get someone to install handrails in your bathroom. But she never listened. Hmm, I replied. You're going to crack your head open, I says. And the paramedics will have to scoop up your scattered brains with a spoon. She's lucky her hip was the only thing she broke. Mrs. Riley sighed. She fiddled with the clasp on a gold necklace of white mother-of-pearl shamrocks. But at least she's got her Gary living with her. With my Patrick gone. I'm not sure what'll happen to me when I... Mrs. Riley cleared her throat, corking back a sob. Her arthritic hands trembled, and her mouth puckered with effort as she pinched the clasp. I caught the necklace as it fell from her grasp. I just don't know if it'll work out, Mrs. Riley said. Concern cleaved her voice in two. Her emerald eyes crinkled like cellophane in the sun, their focus far off. She'll be fine, Mrs. Riley, I said, draping the necklace around her neck. I've got moose, the plants, the house. There's nothing to worry about. I adjusted the sequin jacket over her shoulders, and she started as if roused from a deep sleep, nodding. 
I made for her suitcase, but she snatched one of my hands and held me. Moose could have gone to a pet hotel, you know, she murmured. The day's dying light spilled across the front door's glass mosaic inlay. It did something cruel to her face, sharpened creases into hatchet wounds. My plants could die, and I'd simply buy more. In fact, the whole damn house could burn to ash, and I wouldn't have enough concern to blow out the embers. Her grip on me tightened, serrated fingernails digging into my wrist, and her eyes still held that mile-long stare. But the littles, I don't know what they'd do without me. Another trick of the light drained the green of her eyes, turned them shimmering onyx, grave, uncaring marbles that could watch the life drain from you and not even wince. Mrs. Riley, I cried, fearing the snap of my wrist and the next alteration her face would take. I would have left had I had any other place to stay, but the thought of spending another night on the school library's couch kept my feet rooted. Oh, dear, so sorry, she cooed. She released me and rummaged in her purse. Claret half-moon indentations lined my wrist, each threatening to weep scarlet tears. My nerves have gotten the better of me. Here. She thrust two hundred-dollar bills into my hands. Treat yourself to something nice. Fresh feed from the package in the fridge just after sunset. Every night. I've got it, Mrs. Riley. I said, trying to maintain some modicum of composure. I'm off. Call if you need something, dear. Mrs. Riley smiled a meager smile that I could just bring myself to return as I followed her out with her bags. When I returned inside, I asked, Right, what now, Moose? But the tiny animal had gone, nails tapping away on the kitchen tile. Daylight's prognosis was terminal, but enough remained that the room shouldn't have been as dark as it was. I flipped the switch on a yellow bulb, its clouded enclosure a tomb for tiny dead insects. I lingered at the wooden display cabinets in the sitting room, bleached photographs in brass frames, outnumbered by ceramic figurines of cherubic faces and red books with golden typeset on their spines a black-and-white portrait of a young man in a formal Marine Navy dress uniform with a gap-toothed smile looking off-camera. The former Patrick Riley. No mention of how he died, though. The light had kept the shadows at bay, or seemed to, but now they drew in. It had overtaken much of the sitting room, but it wanted more. To smother me in its grasp, I chalked it up to nerves and brushed the thought away as I retreated to the kitchen. The two tube lights in the overhead kitchen fixture shone with an indelicate bluish white, but I felt better. I pulled a can of dog food from the pantry and emptied it into Moose's glass dish. For Mrs. Riley's instructions, I microwaved it for 45 seconds and set it down. Moose sniffed at it and walked away. Brat, I scoffed. 
my stomach began to rumble, so I headed to the fridge. It was one of those rectangular behemoths from the 1980s, with peeling beige paint filled with fresh groceries by Mrs. Riley. Before I could get to any of that, I leaned to the bottom shelf. Way back, past a loaf of bread riddled with mold and a half-eaten chicken carcass, was a folded brown sack inscribed with the word Littles in tight, neat cursive. The bag was heavy and emitted a pungent odor that filled the kitchen when I opened it. Inside was an economy-sized pack of graying, rancid meat. I thought about the squirrels and the raccoons digging their paws into the putrid pile. Poor things. I hoped they knew better than to eat the stuff. I grabbed a large serving spoon from the drawer and headed for the backyard. Just as Mrs. Riley said, Moose refused to come out, despite my leaving the sliding door open. He stared at me, sniffing the air, but would not cross the threshold. Flies buzzed my head, intoxicated by the smell of decay. The raised flower beds overflowed with plants, but their jagged leaves and long, winding vines looked bizarre and distorted in the dusk. An old lawn gnome, its pupils long faded, but the cheeks still rosy, stood watch at the back corner fence by a patio chair and a half-open bag of fertilizer. On the chair was a rusted silver dog bowl into which I plopped two spoonfuls of meat. A tickle danced up my back like a goose over my grave, and I spun around. Nothing but growing shadows from the neighbor's hedges approached. I double-bagged the putrid meat in resealable bags and returned it to the fridge. There was fresh ground beef on the next shelf that I made into hamburger helper, but I was too nauseous from the smell of what I'd placed outside to do more than pick at the noodles. I spent dinner finishing my paper on the postmodern styles of Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. By nine, I was exhausted, so I cleaned up and grabbed Moose's leash to let him out for the night. The front yard was a different animal than the back, bright and inviting from the corner streetlight. I wondered why I couldn't see it from the backyard, as Moose sniffed every blade of grass before raising a leg near the potted jasmine plant. Inside, the sitting room light had been swallowed by the swelling gloom. I tried to pick up Moose so I wouldn't step on him, but I heard his collar jingling deeper in the house. Not even my cell phone light improved it. I scampered back to the kitchen, looking through the patio door on my way to the guest bedroom. The backyard was empty, save for the expansive night, reaching for every inch of ground with fingers that threatened to grab hold and not let go. No wonder Moose didn't like going out there at night. Neither would I. Creepy, Shanice said. She unfolded her sandwich and flicked off a wayward piece of limp lettuce. Our classes didn't align as much as they used to during our freshman and sophomore years at Houston Tillerson University. Still, 
We found enough of a break between classes on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to resume our lunchtime picnics out on the quad. No creepier than waking up in your car to some rando staring at you, I said. I still don't know why you do that, Shanice said. Saves me thousands of dollars on overpriced student housing, I replied. I'd regained my appetite over the last day and took a massive bite from my chicken salad pita. When I want an actual bed to sleep in and some extra spending money, I look for house-sitting gigs. Oh my god, I get it. You're so frugal. Shanice rolled her eyes. But you know my futon is always open to you. If I ever want to wake up on a futon that smells like feet, I'll call you, I said. Shanice flicked a piece of lettuce at me, which I returned with a salvo of my own. We shrieked loud enough to get stares from the people passing us. After American History and Art, I had a three-hour shift at Checkers, one of the on-campus restaurants. The shift manager, Terry, kept a stash of shell-on peanuts and bird food in his office to feed the already rotund brown squirrels around campus. Mind if I take a bag of that stuff, Terry? I asked. Shayna, you know you get a meal with every shift, right? Terry said, hacking out a laugh. I threw a piece of pizza dough at him, which he avoided with surprising speed, before returning from his office with a sandwich bag of feed. You want that for here, or to go? I returned to Mrs. Riley's well past sundown, I hadn't felt like making dinner, so I brought back a pizza from Checkers, even though Terry kept asking if I wanted birdseed as a topping. I could hear Moose scratching at the door and was relieved that he hadn't messed on the floor. Sorry, Moose. Come on, then, I said, and clipped his leash before he could sprint out the door. I took him on a long walk around the block to make up for leaving him so long. The pizza had grown cold, but I preferred it this way, and chewed a slice while I grabbed the to-go bag of bird feed and nuts. I made my way to the dog bowl, grazing something in the dark that I was too tired to care much about. I worried I'd need to wash off yesterday's filth, but the bowl was wiped clean. I dumped the feed in, hoping that even if Mrs. Riley had been feeding skunks, or raccoons, they'd be more content with this offering than the other slop. A bit of light reading was all I had planned for that night. After sparing myself the smell of graying meat, my appetite was no match for the rest of the pizza and a yogurt parfait from the fridge. I let Moose out for the night and settled back into the recliner in the living room, falling asleep to reruns of an antique restoration show. Clanging metal startled me. A dream, maybe, I thought at first. Then I heard the scratching. Light, but urgent. I worried Moose needed some late-night relief, but he was asleep on his pillow in the kitchen. More scratching. I followed it to its source. The kitchen light was still on, and I could see a tiny hand scratching at the bottom of the patio door. I held back a scream with both hands, 
phosphorescent, pupilless eyes scattered along the fence line, daring me to look away. A second hand, coated with coarse black hair along its pencil-thin forearm, began scratching the glass. The first hand stopped, then, trembling, pointed a gnarled finger to the upturned dog food bowl, lying in a heap of bird seed. A third hand emerged out of the ink pool of the backyard, and I ran for the kitchen. Moose was awake and whimpered a low whine, but did not move. More scraping, louder, as more hands no doubt joined in. With the rotten bag of meat in my hands, I went to a drawer, not for a spoon, but for the largest butcher knife I could find. The back door was heavy in its track. I stopped at the blade flash, mercurial, against the kitchen light, and my quivering hands juggled the meat and cell phone light. The sound of skittering sent a splash of ice down my back. Then it was gone. I saw one of them in full, before it could leave the narrow beam of my phone light. It was vaguely human-like, if humans were a foot tall and rail thin, with pale, shiny skin like wax drippings. Its eyes were black pools, as cold and unfeeling as the primordial skies before stars burst into existence. I leaped out, snatching the bowl before hurling it and the meat as far away as possible, then snapped the sliding door behind me. I kept an impotent, slack-wristed hold on the knife, but I wasn't sure I could even wield it if the time came. With numb fingers, I managed to call Mrs. Riley. She answered on the third ring. Hello, she said. They, 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 I stammered. Oh, it's you, dear. Awfully late to be. Mrs. Riley's voice was even and calm. Scratching was all I could get out. Mrs. Riley clicked her tongue. You forgot to feed them. She scolded me like a child ruining the sheets for the fifth time in as many days. Movement on the other end of the phone. I says, feed them just after sunset, every night. A grunt and a sigh, heaved through the receiver. Did you feed them? I nodded, eyes skirting the patio door. Fear sparked life in shadows, giving them form and appendages to strangle. I saw them in the knots of wood, the dust swirls on the fan blades. I could even see them, gathering within my outline, cast by the fluorescent light. Did you feed them? Mrs. Riley shouted, the words threatening to burst the phone speaker. She couldn't see me nodding. Yes, I whispered, gasping. Oh, that's fine, dear, right as roses, then. Leave a pack of meat on the counter and feed them that tomorrow. Mrs. Riley's voice shrieked, just one or two rungs below hysterical.
they need to be fed. Just after sunset, I choked out. Yes, exactly, dear. I should be back by Friday, but no sooner. I held my breath, but must have made some pitying noise. Get some sleep, dear, Mrs. Riley added, after more scuffling sounds. They just need to be fed. Nothing more to it. I'll see you on Friday. Then a click. The hours crawled by on tiny hands, slithering on slick yellow bellies. I jumped at every sound and saw faces and hands reaching just out of my periphery, always gone when I tried to pick them out. I cuddled with Moose, feet curled beneath me. I forced myself not to look at the back door, should a tiny palm and fingernails try to signal me again. I drifted through classes the next day. Likewise, I shifted checkers. The shadows in the backyard looked amorphous and hung too close from the objects they were cast from. Fence slats threatened to unveil some new horror at my passing. I filled the bowl, ran back inside, grabbed Moose, his leash, and some food, and set out for Shanice's. Jeez, you look strung out, she said when she answered the door. I reached out and pulled her close. Shana, what's wrong? Shanice laughed, but it was brittle. I just didn't want to be alone. Hundreds more students spent their nights at the library, with the semester almost over. Student life on campus grew more nocturnal when final exam week drew close, with many making the end-of-semester pilgrimage to the library. Their eyes were filled with sleep, pajamas were worn at all hours, and showering was optional. Cutting through the smell of books and dust was a new aroma of sweat and overripe onions. My usual haunt was the old periodical section on the third floor basement level. There was not a lot of competition for that little corner of the library, but I still made a point of starting my evening routine early. A quick workout and a shower at the gym, followed by dinner at the dining hall. Heading down the library stairwell, my pockets rattled with a few extra bread rolls and cookies to fuel my studies but I couldn't get into the readings. All thoughts strayed to the necklace. It was sitting on the cushion of my favorite teal couch last night. Gold chain, white, mother-of-pearl shamrocks, just like Mrs. Riley's. Seeing the necklace made me itchy. I couldn't bear to touch the thing and moved it to the floor with a napkin. I hadn't seen or heard from her since I picked up payment for the house-sitting. We'd exchanged no words, just an envelope of money and my mumbling about being sorry. She closed the door in my face, the shame rising as the door bolt cocked into place. After three hours of attempting to study, I settled on the couch behind a line of microfilm viewers and pulled out my fleece blanket and one of the dining hall cookies.
I tried to watch videos on my phone, but I couldn't keep my eyes open for more than a few seconds at a time. There was no way to control the overhead lights, but that was nothing a thick eye mask couldn't solve. A sound rocketed from beneath me like an open hand slap, and I bolted upright. I sat in the dark, blanket pulled to my chin for an embarrassing amount of time before I remembered my eye mask. I removed it, and the panic metastasized. The room was as dim as the pitch-black pupil of night. A familiar, disconcerting noise traveled among the reference shelves. The slaps of footfalls. Then, scratching. I made to run until the eyes appeared from the floor beneath me. They had no color to them, but they shone. A shriveled figure clambered over the coffee table in front of me. Its face looked like someone wrapped snakeskin around a wooden kitchen spoon, and the features didn't settle like they should. It wore a long, slender frown that curved beyond its chin. It pointed, no, stabbed its belly with a finger. More took shape in the darkness. Some pointed at what should be a mouth, but were instead ringed, open holes in their face. Others at swollen bellies. I threw the bread and cookies, but they were ignored. They need to be fed. Mrs. Riley's warning came like a low rumble in my mind, and her face took form before my eyes but it was no memory. It was too misshapen, her mouth too slack, her eyes no longer blazing emerald fire. It was only when diminutive hands materialized beneath her face, dropping what remained of Mrs. Riley onto my lap, that the scream escaped me. Thanks for listening. Stay updated on the latest episodes by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, on Instagram at hdte.mp3, and on my website, howdoesthisend.co. Support the show by sharing with friends, rating the episodes, or consider joining the Patreon at patreon.com slash howdoesthisend, link in the description. Special thanks to producer Halis Clemens Narvais and patrons Alex Cavazos, Liz Walker, this episode's cover art was generated by Adobe Firefly. The music for this episode is from Epidemic Sound. The How to Ascend podcast is a Stumblewell production, brought to you for Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Be well, do good, and until next time.